Welcome back to the Just Shoot and Ship podcast. My name is Sophia Solzner, and I'm here with my co-host, Megan Erie, and we have Amanda Radke on the podcast with us today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so excited. Um, I've followed you for many years, and I told Megan that I had to have you on here, and so (laughs) I reached out. I was just so excited that you said yes. So if you want to introduce yourself, um, and then we can roll from there. Yeah. Um, so my name is Amanda Radke. I'm a beef cattle rancher from Mitchell, South Dakota. Um, my husband, Tyler, and I raise cattle and, and lots of kids. We have four children and we are foster parents um, here on our ranch. And um, I write children's books. And so I, I'm very focused on teaching kids about where their food comes from. So whether it's foster kids coming to stay on the ranch for a week or two, or going into classrooms and libraries and, and reading my stories, um, it's, it's definitely a goal of mine to empower the next generation to understand agriculture. Um, and then the pandemic hit, And one of my biggest things I do is I speak on the road at, at agricultural conferences uh, on a wide variety of topics. But when the pandemic hit, uh, that all went away very quickly. And so I launched a, a retail site. So it's a Western site. I curate items specifically for farm and ranch families, everything from books and toys to clothing to Navajo jewelry to Ariat jeans and boots now. Um, so it's kind of become a wild beast. And <laughs> so I guess I wear a lot of hats, so to speak. Yeah, I love that. I didn't know you had Ariat now. Yeah, I have to get back on and shop. I actually um, just ordered a couple of your books from your website for a friend of mine who's having a baby who is a beef producer, um, just local to me. So that was really cool that I got to kind of share that. And I was the only one who she like specifically requested books for her baby shower over like other gifts. And I was like the only one who actually brought like cattle related stuff like books. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm gonna have to let her know about about Amanda's website because she would love everything on there. It's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. How did you, um, so are you a first generation rancher or is your husband or how did you guys kind of fall in love with the ranching lifestyle? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in it. My husband did too. Um, we're just a half mile from my mom and dad where we, where I grew up. And so my kids would be the sixth generation. Um, we sell registered seed stock cattle. So we sell bulls. Um, and yeah, this time of year we're busy breeding and AIing, which now with artificial intelligence, you can't just say that on the internet has new meanings now, but, um, very, very busy time of year. We're moving cows, um, to pasture and, Um, Yeah, it's just a lot of fun being able to raise our kids in this lifestyle that we love so much. But interesting story, my husband and I met at South Dakota State University on the meat judging team. So I always joke, it was like, we fell in love over ribeyes and (laughs) plants. And it's like totally a Hallmark movie in the making. (laughs) I love it. it. Do you guys still have snow up there? Uh, Thankfully, no. This was like the longest winter ever. I, I know we've had worse winters, but it was 110 days of consecutive snow here in South Dakota. So like in December alone, we had over three feet of snow and just the piles were everywhere, but we're so dry that we got a couple 90 degree days here probably a month ago when the snow was gone like overnight. And about now it's like, you couldn't even tell we had that much snow. So we desperately need rain. Yeah. Um, I watched, I'm from Iowa. And so I watched all of that snow and everything kind of like go north of us this whole year. And ours was really weird because it would like snow a bunch and then it would all be gone and then it would snow and it would all be gone. And it was just like 
the weirdest thing because I'm so used to like Iowa winters where there's just snow on the ground forever. So (laughs) yeah, I can't even imagine being even farther north. Um, That's crazy. But I know North Dakota got hit really hard, so I can't even complain really. (laughs) It's uh, I mean, they had, they had snow drifts, like 60 feet tall on the roads and just, just crazy. So I could never, (laughs) I saw pictures of like Wyoming highways and I was like, oh, well just take Wyoming off the list of places I'd like to live. No way. We always say it keeps kind of the riffraff out of South Dakota. (laughs) It's bad enough that it's not like the first place people would pick. So that's okay. <laughs> I even have friends from Texas who are like, I could never live in Iowa. And I'm like, you don't even know. Like it's not that bad here. <laughs> so do you all focus on a single breed of cattle and what does seed stock mean? Yeah. So we raise um, limousine and Angus and our seed stock would just be like pure, purebred sale, like purebred cattle sales. And so, yep, everything's registered and um, we'll sell heifers in the fall. We sell bulls in, in the spring, um, some, you know, before the grazing season, breeding season for turnout time. And um, we do it all private treaty right now, but I think we'll end up going to an auction format here in the next couple of years. But right now it's kind of first come first serve as people, you know, they're priced to sell. And, and so we have people coming and going all the time. Mm-hmm. How do you find like a market for that? Is it mostly people like local to you or are there people traveling a lot for your stock specifically? Um, I would say primarily it's local, you know, people in the region, but we just shipped off some bulls to Pennsylvania too. So it's amazing, like with the social media, um, the people that you can reach and kind of the network um, that you can grow. And so um, that's one of the benefits of me speaking all over is I get to meet a lot of people. And and so it kind of brings people back to the ranch, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. I wondered about that between like your social media presence and, and everything that you do and all your speaking events, if that brought in business, so to say for the ranch as well. And like the cattle side. Yeah. It all, it's, I mean, that is the benefit of going to speak at cattle events is you do meet, meet good people and network. And I guess that's, that would be my advice to anybody, no matter what career path or avenue they're going down is, is the best thing you can do is get in front of people and let them know who you are and what you're about and what your passions and talents are. And, and just put yourself out there. It, it really is your value is in that network of, of people you get to meet along the way. And, and so I kind of got started. I was, you know, an 18 year old kid speaking. Um, I was a beef ambassador and I started speaking at consumer events and someone heard me speak and said, you could do this professionally. And I, I mean, I had no idea that that was even a thing. Um, last year I did 52 events across the country. So it's oh, wow. Just, yeah, it's it's been and it, and it really all started with a 4H speech. I gave my first speech in 4H when I was 8 years old and and was hooked. So it was just something I always did but had no idea it'd be like a primary thing for my career. But even more than that, it's just doing those speaking contests as a kid gave me the confidence to go and ask for internships or a job or ask for a raise, all these things. And so I always tell kids no matter what career you're going down, your ability to communicate and express yourself and and share your message and market your abilities is, uh, it's so valuable and critical to your success. So I'm assuming from that, you're a huge supporter of 4-H and FFA and all of those things. 
Yeah. You know, I ended my FFA career. I won the national extemporaneous speaking contest. So that's where you draw a topic randomly out of a hat and then you get 30 minutes to prepare a speech. Um, So I ended on a high note, but um, this year is really exciting. It's my daughter's first year in 4-H. And so she has her first speaking contest here in the middle of June. So we're practicing a lot. And I don't know if she likes me as a coach or not, but... (laughs) That's it's like too bad that I'm her mother because that she's my husband said, well, do you does she really want to do it? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. She's going to do it. it. (laughs) There's definitely things in our house like that. It it doesn't actually matter. Like she do it. Yep. Yep. I know my daughter hates when I coach her on literally anything. So (laughs) kids tend to to push back on their parents once in a while. It's okay. It's part of it. And I want them to be passionate too. You know, the great thing about speaking is they can pick the topic they're interested in and, you know, research it and run with it. Like, I don't care what they talk about. I just want them to practice being in front of people and speaking. And so they go, um, they go with me to a lot of events. They help sell the books. They shake the hands, they make the change. And so it's, it's really fun to be able to make it a family thing because, um, being on the road a lot does get lonely and it's, it's hard being the mom and, and leaving home. So that's been fun um, to make memories and take one kid at a time and, and hit the road. That would be so fun. And that's a good way to get in like that one-on-one time, especially when you have a lot of kids. I mean, I only have three, which sometimes feels like a hundred. So I can't even imagine, you know, I was just thinking to myself the other day, this summer when they're not in school, I need to make sure that I set aside time to do individual time with each of them. So that's great though. I love that you take them on the road and that you put that out there and you talk about being a mom and a business owner and a speaker and traveling and being on the road and all of those things that you do. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for any moms that might be listening to, there is that expectation that you're supposed to do it all and you're supposed to do it really well and have this perfect balance and it's stressful and it's hard. And you see a lot of depression and anxiety and burnout in women. And I think, I think it's number one important, and I'm giving myself the same advice, but you know, to give yourself grace that you can't do it all, um, to really, try to focus as much as you can, you know, like when I'm in work mode, I'm just, I know I have kids like underfoot and, and life is crazy and chaotic, but okay, I need to focus on work, but then just as equally, like when I'm with my kids, I can't be feeling guilty that I'm not working too. And so it's like, there is no such thing as balance. There's seasons of life where things are going to be busy and pull at your attention. Um, one of the things I always tell myself is my kids are seeing what it's like to grow a, a business, you know, like my husband and I, our passion is production agriculture and being in ranching and, you know, the kids, whether they like it or not, they're going to be along for the ride through calving and breeding and, and all the things that come with it. And, um, so that means hard decisions have to be made too. Like, you know, this time of year, we're so busy. I'd love to put them in softball or t-ball or something, but it's like, we're just so maxed out, but I have to remind myself there's lessons that they're learning here on the ranch, being with their mom and dad and and working together as a family too. So yeah, sometimes you just have to let go of things. You can't, you cannot do it all. You just simply can't. Yeah. I struggle with a lot of that, um, balance and guilt and just realizing that there is no such thing as balance. Like when you keep some plates spinning, some are going to fall and it's just giving yourself that grace and doing the best that you can. And I travel a lot too. And I always remind myself, like I'm teaching my kids to chase their dreams, that it's okay to live a life that doesn't look normal to some people. Yep. Um, It's, it's hard though. There's a lot of expectation. And then I feel like judgment that comes with traveling a lot as a mother, um, Mm -hmm. 
I've had that, like where people are like, you're just gone so much. Yep. I I get asked that a lot. Like when I'm speaking, people say, well, who's watching your kids? I'm like, well, their dad who yeah. loves them too, you know? And so I have to chuckle because I think, oh, I bet not many guys get asked that on the road, but I'm not like, no. I, I really believe my most important job is being a wife and mother. Like that is my number one goal and priority. And so um, as much as I want to work and build this career, I kind of do push back a little bit about like, just like the whole boss babe thing, because I see a lot of boss babes that end up, like I said, very burnt out and depressed and anxious and, you know, marriage is falling apart. Their health, their home lives are falling apart. So I really, I'm a Christian and and I just have to recenter all the time is like, what does God want me to do? And for like, God wants me to disciple and raise my children and be the best wife and mother I can be. He's also given me these other talents and gifts and I need to be a good steward of them, but I can't be all in chasing that at all times at the expense of what my primary role is. And I, yeah. I think it's taken me a lot of years to get to that point because in society, we're very like achievement focused at all times. And I, I even think that like you go on social media and you think, oh, these girls are doing so much more than me. Like what's wrong with me? And it's like, no, that's comparison game. That's, you know, it's the thief of joy and like the blessings are right in front of me and they're very simple, but they're the richest things I could possibly ever have in my life. And so if, if, if things get too hard and life is a distraction and that, like, like I said earlier, that no, that, that power to say, like, I need to cut back on certain things because I need to focus on what matters. I, I, being able to do that, I think is important as a business owner and a wife and a mom too. Absolutely. You can get stuck in that rut of always chasing your goals and your next big thing and, yep. and mm -hmm. really lose the focus. Yeah, I think so. And I think we get in a hurry in life. You know, we're, we just live in such a fast paced world and I'm the same way too. It's like, I rarely slow down. I, I really don't. But at the same time, I think, okay, am I pausing to and savor these moments with my yeah. children or am I just focused on how stressful it is, how my house is always messy and my dishes always need to be washed and there's laundry that always needs to be folded. And I got to-do list a mile long. Like, am I just letting that consume my life or am I just saying like, wow, here I am. And this is everything I've prayed for. And it's, it, I, I once thought I wouldn't even become a mother. And so it's like, you got to just reflect and take stock of what you have going on in life and have that gratitude. And, and I think that puts like a fresh look on business too, when you can have that attitude of contentment and gratitude as well. Back to that balance thing. It's just like a constant. It is. Cycle, you know? <laughs> I don't think I get it right all the time, but yeah, yeah. It's, these are things I have to remind myself too. So we all do for mm -hmm. sure. So now when, do you just, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead, Megan. I'm good. Um, so do you, um, with like your Ariat jeans and your, or I don't, do you sell jeans? Jeans, boots, men's, kids, all, yep, all of it, basically. So, oh, she said kids. Hang on, let me get on there and shop. <laughs> <laughs> I got, yep, kids' jeans and button up shirts and little shoes. And that is so hard to find sometimes, like the kids' stuff. I mean, all of my kids are in rodeo, and to find like the, the cuter, dare I say it, for my boys, like there's just like a certain style that they have specifically. And in order to yep. find that stuff, sometimes it's so hard. But yes, yeah, I can't just go to Old Navy and get what I want for my boys. No, yeah. And my oldest, of course, has opinions now. God bless yep. him. I love him so much. <laughs> but he's like, well, I don't like that shirt. And I'm like, oh, child. 
Yep, pretty much. And that's kind of been my focus of the retail is like, this is my life. This is what we're living. So what does my family need? Chances are other people need it too. And so um, really anything I carry on the site is something that like we would use at home. I would use for my own kids or myself, or I would wear um, and just trying to solve problems for people because yeah, I like, I like the boot cut jeans that are dark wash for them to wear, you know, to fancy events. And I wanted crisp button ups for the boys. And I, I wanted uh clothing that we could wear on the ranch, but that we could wear to town, you know, things that were durable. And so getting area, it was a big step. I mean, it was semi loads of stuff coming in this winter. And then it was the middle of a blizzard. I had nowhere to go picture them. And <laughs> And so I had, a, I have a photographer friend, Jeffrey Earl in New Mexico. And I called him and said, I, I have to get out of South Dakota. I want to come do a photo shoot down in New Mexico. And so we loaded up the kids and we were picking up cattle too. So four kids, the pickup and trailer, my husband, and like five totes of inventory that I was going to picture on this beautiful New Mexican desert. Mm -hmm. And we got down there and it was answered prayers for them, but it totally blew up my plans, but it, it was snowing and raining when we got down there and they they're so dry. So it yeah. was like such a blessing. I couldn't even complain, but like we're taking pictures and it's the mud and the snow. And I'm like, I could have just stayed at home for this. <laughs> but, but that's the other thing about business. Like if you are in business, things don't always go as planned and you have to be able to roll with the punches. I don't care if it's like calving out cows or running a re retail site, like things don't go your way. Sometimes I just ordered a great, a great shipment of, I was really excited about it, products um, that were made out of beef tallow. They were candles made out of beef tallow. And I thought this is so on brand. The yeah. whole box came completely shattered, just like not a thing. And so, you know, you're, you're dealing with, you know, reef, like figuring that out with your vendors. And it, it really is um, small business ownership is, is a challenge. Like there's, it is not a greased wheel that you just get to go and, and enjoy instant success. There's setbacks, I think, almost every day. <laughs> and so I think like the life lesson is just your ability to pivot and like pump yourself up and keep moving forward and not, you only fail. I heard this one time on a podcast. You only fail if you quit, you know, that everything else is just a lesson along the way. So if I'm never going to quit, I'm never going to fail. I'm just going to figure out new ways to be successful. I had a conversation with my oldest son um, the other day, he's 15 and, and we were talking about failures and things that go wrong. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't mind it so much because I always learned something, yep. you know, and, and I'm the same. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I mean, I may get down or I may be sad or I may have a setback, but I'm always going to stand up and, and learn from it and hopefully grow. Um, so I don't mind it so much. Like mm -hmm. I don't look at myself as a failure. It's all just lessons yep. I've learned. Mm -hmm. that That's is definitely something that I like struggled with along the way you know growing up there's there was a lot of pressure from my parents and my family and stuff like that and so then it was like every time that something didn't go the way that I expected it to go then it was like knock down drag out could not recover and so that's something that you have to learn too if it's if it's a learned behavior to react to failure or something not going right and treating it as a failure that can take speaking from experience years to undo. So that's such an important lesson too, to like teach your kids as they grow up that it's not always, you know, one way or the other way. Sometimes it's just a lesson. 
Yep. It, and like a, a door closing or hitting a dead end, it doesn't mean it's over. It just means you have to find a new way. So I heard a professor when I was at college said that about um, the phrase he used was fail fast forward. And so it was very much like, yeah, you've, you've hit a roadblock, but like, instead of wallowing in it, you better figure out a way to pivot and keep moving forward. And so I've always thought that. And so like when the pandemic hit and I lost a year's worth of work, basically overnight, it was, I mean, I, yeah, I had a pity party at the dining room table and I cried about it because it, it was going to be the most speeches I was ever like had ever done in my 15 years of being on the road. Like I felt like I was finally getting somewhere with that. And it was just like erased. Um, so yeah, I had myself a good pity party. I cried about it, but then like with, by the end of that week, it was like, all right, we're hitting the ground running with this retail because I'm at home. Like, what else am I going to do? Let's, let's make some money this way. And it, it's been such a blessing. Like it, it wasn't my, but my identity wasn't in doing one thing. My, my driving force is I have a family to support. I have cattle, a ranch that has bills to be paid. Like I have to find a way. And so I think sometimes we get our identity so tied up in what we think we're supposed to be doing with our lives. And it's like, no, like life is going to take you on weird paths you could never expect. And even, you know, when I was in college, it, it was a million years ago, Facebook was brand new. Blogs were brand new. Like that was the start of my career was Facebooking and blogging. And, you know, now with different social media platforms, many of the things that I learned in college are now outdated. So I, I don't think we can like put ourselves into a box of this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. There's just, there's, that opportunity to grow and evolve and your interests change. And, and that's all good and a blessing too, if you can kind of roll with that. Well, and I think that's been like a reoccurring theme with a lot of people that we've talked to. I know like COVID changed the trajectory of my life. I worked at a doctor's office and I didn't want to do it anymore. You know, I, I love the physician that I work for, but I was just very burnt out of eight years in a doctor's office. And then COVID was like gloom and doom and in the hospital was miserable, but it made me pivot, you know, and realize like I wanted a more flexible schedule. I wanted to be home with my boys more. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just lost my train of thought. It's like literally gone. I had something. <laughs> well, that, I know what you mean though, because I, I probably learned this when I was younger. I, my husband and I, when we were in college, as we were graduating from college, um, the recession hit, there was a housing bubble. You guys are too young for this probably, no, but I'm, I'm probably about the same age as you. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Well, you look way younger than me. I'm like, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, so that the house, you remember then the, the mm -hmm. housing bubble hit, people were like foreclosing. It on their really house. affected my family. Very, very, really? very much. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, people weren't getting jobs. Like we were graduating from college and you didn't even ask your classmates, like, what are you going to do after school? Because they were either going to stick around and get their masters just to like drag it out a little bit more, or they were moving home with mom and dad with no job. And so that was like my first reality check of I, I I did everything right. I had a resume that was just jam packed full of things. I had great grades. I had, was this super overachiever in every club, like obnoxiously so. And yet nobody wanted to hire me like straight up. There were no jobs, but it was in that like difficult season. That it was the best thing that ever happened to me again, like the tough lessons they teach you the most. Right. Um, because I, that's how I started freelancing. And I was able to take all these writing jobs back to the ranch, be a part of my family's operation, but also make money from home. And had I not kind of been shoved into that 
you know, position of you better figure it out because the traditional route just isn't there. I don't know if I would have taken that leap. I think I would have chose like the safe option. Um, So I'm actually really grateful for that. But I I always tell kids now I do a lot of mentoring at like high schools and colleges. Um, I'm doing an internship kickoff with a egg tegra this week. Um, But I always tell these kids like, uh, your your ability to face these hard things that are going to happen to you in life. It could be markets, weather, business, you know, just life is going to happen. It doesn't matter. It's not a matter of if, it's when, um, but it's it's in those moments that really separates the people who su- are successful or who fall apart under that pressure. And so, you know, a little bit of a little bit of pressure sometimes can bring out the best in people. And so I just, I try to encourage these kids to like, yeah, prepare yourself, find ways to be bulletproof um, because life is super hard. And if, um, I guess the most important thing for me has been finding really great mentors along the way too, that, you know, can lift me up or teach me new skills or help me fail a little faster, you know, help me learn those hard lessons a little bit quicker so that I can get on to, you know, what I need to do next. And, and so I, I really wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today without some serious guidance from some people who just believed in me and encouraged me. And, and, and then if you're on the other side of it, having that opportunity to mentor or encourage a young person too, I think is so rewarding. Like just, it's amazing how just a little bit of encouragement or a few kind words can help, you know, fuel somebody to take that leap or to, um, you know, pursue that business adventure or whatever it might be. And so it's, it's fun now to be kind of on the other side and be able to help younger kids. Yeah. Well, I don't feel like we live in a world anymore. Um, where it's, you know, like I grew up my in Michigan and the auto industry is huge there. And it was like, you graduated high school and you got a job that you worked for the rest of your life. And we don't, and I love that, you know, like it's, it's more accepted and normal for people to constantly pivot and have different things and have two or three different, you know, jobs Mm -hmm. and career paths. And, um, I don't know. I just think it's really cool. A different time for sure. It is Mm -hmm. hugely different. My uh, my parents were really affected by the recession. Um, my stepdad was a uh, like a project manager for a commercial construction company and lost his job. And the most wow. unemployable group of people was older white men, yeah. and found himself not being able to get a job. And you know they had a mortgage and they had you know a lot of bills. And they went to the bank and the bank was like basically like we can't help you, you know. So they were able to pivot and buy a house, get out from underneath the mortgage, buy a house for cash. And it has been the best thing that has ever happened to them. Like they're debt free. They just bought like a new, a brand new construction build home. Like it pivoted, but they were able to be resilient, figure it out, use elbow grease and their, you know, skills to make it like the best thing that's ever happened to them. But it it should have been I mean, I mean it was like a devastating thing. Comes with a lot of pain. Yeah. Well, and that's what I tell, I, I feel like so many people care about what other people think. Like, what will people think if I do the weird thing or the thing that's not, well, I mean, they had to file bankruptcy and you know, like it was, my mom was mortified, like yeah. absolutely mortified. She's like, this is not who I was raised to be. This is, you know, like my mom had perfect credit. They were never late on any bill. And she was like, you know, I went to the bank and told them like, we can't, you know, we just lost you know, a a large income, like we cannot stay afloat and they wouldn't help them, you know? Wow. Wow. Yeah. I think judgment, you know, like they had to just accept it. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. I, um, you know, like when we bought, 
my, the place where we live on now, I mean, it's my, it's our forever home. Um, it, and it, it fell into our lap just basically as we were getting married. It, I mean, you couldn't have written a better um, scenario. The neighbors called and said, we're moving to town. You want to buy the Baylor. And I mean, this farm that we're at now connects right to my mom and dad's. And it was like, no, we want to buy the whole place. <laughs> like, um, I really wish I hadn't spent so much on food and flowers for this wedding because <laughs> now I need to buy a farm, you know? And so it was very stressful. I mean, the bank, bar we barely squeaked through to get the loan and it took us three years to even put a cow on the place. We like, we just simply couldn't afford it. Um, but we got really creative to make it work. We rented out every building for storage to, you know, people that wanted to come park their combines here. We rented out our basement to tech kids. Like we literally had college kids living with us in our first year of marriage, um, just to pay the mortgage. Um, we did so many odds and ends things that like people from the outside in probably thought we were lunatics. But to me, it was like, we were so we, like, we knew this was the place. We knew what we wanted to do. Our long-term goal was to be in production agriculture and we needed this base to make it happen. And so we just had to kind of humble ourselves and figure out, you know, what do we got to do? And and we've had that same approach with like our equipment that we've had to buy. It was like, we started out with rust buckets. I mean, that's all we could afford. And we've slowly like updated over time. And it's humbling because you see people that just jump right to the best of the best and you don't know their financial situation. Maybe they can do it. Maybe they can't, but I know what we could do. And so like really keeping your ego out of it and being, being just very practical and frugal and making, I think making wise financial decisions. Um, what motivates me most as an entrepreneur and a business owner isn't that I can make my life fancier or I can have the best house or the fanciest vacations or clothes or whatever. Um, what motivates me is to have freedom so that I can make choices for my family so that I can have that flexibility to set my own hours that, you know, if a pandemic hits, I have the ability to say no to mandates and things that are coming along like that. I can call the shots for my family. And, and so that, that freedom to me is the ultimate um, salary, I guess that you can receive when you are your own business owner. Absolutely. I, uh, I was driving, you know, an hour, hour and a half, depending on traffic to work both ways, then wow. sitting at a job at a desk for eight hours. I mean, and I'm very thankful that job, you know, allowed me to buy our home and to do a lot of things, but it was just 11 and a half to 12 hours a day and not not doing anything I wanted and then being exhausted when I got home, you know, like cook dinner and rinse and repeat. And I just knew I didn't want that for my life. And I've had to be creative and I've had to pivot and I've had like, like, I don't know what I'm going to do and like situations that didn't work out, but I wouldn't trade it for going back and sitting 12 hours a day at, you know, a job working for somebody else. Yeah. I totally get that. And it, yeah, for a lot of people, it took 2020 to kind yeah, of, it's crazy. Like, so isn't it like literally everybody we've talked to almost? Yeah, everybody has mentioned the pandemic and how that was a turning point for them, business and personal wise. It's It was definitely a time where people got to sit with themselves and their thoughts a little more than American society probably allows. So yeah, totally. So my... I have about five topics I talk about on the road. And I, I mean, they really change depending on what's going on in the world. I try to make them pretty current and up to date on, you know, relative topics. But my most popular speech I've been doing the last 
two and a half years has been. It's titled um, Shifting Your Perspective and Shaping New Opportunities in Challenging Times. And it it really stems from the pandemic and what was happening, not only just in the country, but in agriculture and the food space and how, you know, like our packing plants were shutting down. Um, I had friends in the hog industry that were having to euthanize their hogs because they had nowhere to process them. I had friends in the dairy industry that were having to dump their milk. Um, they couldn't get the plastic containers off of the ships. Um, we saw shelves that were bare. I mean, people couldn't buy toilet paper. Like there was so much going on, but in all of that chaos, like the business owner in me saw like, okay, I see problems. I see a lot of problems, but the best entrepreneurs, the best business owners see those problems and create the solutions. And in turn, they're making priceless connections with the people they aim to serve. And they're also earning a premium for what they do. And so I had friends that, I mean, they were shipping beef across the country because people couldn't buy beef in the store. Um, You know, they were, they were, I had friends that are in the winery business that started making hand sanitizer. I mean, their grandpa or, you know, great grandpa who started growing grapes, you know, probably never would have thought that they would, their company would have survived during those years because they were making hand sanitizer and not wine, you know, but it was that ability to, here's a problem and I'm going to find the solution. And then I'm going to be profitable when I do that. And so I think that's just like a great mindset for any business owner too, is just seeking to solve people's problems. What do people need right now? And how can I be the solution for that? Do you have any like words of wisdom for maybe like a newer entrepreneur or even a seasoned entrepreneur who obviously is facing difficulties? I mean, the economy right now is not super forgiving. Um, And so we're seeing small businesses close left and right, whether brick and mortar or e-commerce. You know, do you have any words of wisdom or encouragement or anything like that for business owners in those situations? Yeah, being that we're in like a really downturn market right now and inputs are really high and basically everything that we need to do and buy to operate and run our businesses. And I've seen it too. I see boutiques closing every day of the week. It seems like now on social media, they're selling everything for pennies, nickels on the dollar. Um, I would say my best advice is just keep a steady head, you know, um, make wise financial decisions. Maybe you're not buying as much inventory right now. Maybe you're not hitting record sales. Um, Right now, um, what I'm focusing on is building relationships because I know people want to support me. They just might not have the money to shop right now. And so how can I keep building those connections? How can I help people? How can I um, tell my story better? How can I make the product more than just a product? It's something that they're they're buying into because they believe in the story it tells or the mission behind it. Um, An example of this is, Um, one of my newest children's books that came out last year is titled Faith, Family, Freedom. And it tells the story of, you know, our, our ideals, the values that I hold dear as a parent that I want to help get into the hands of other parents who want to start instilling and reinforcing those values in their kids. But um, a dollar of every book sold goes to my favorite nonprofit organization, which is the All-American Beef Battalion, which serves steaks to the troops as a way to say thank you. Um, It was started by my dear friend and bonus grandpa. Um, His name was Bill Brody. Um, He passed away from COVID, unfortunately, Um, but he was a Vietnam veteran, tough as nails, lost his leg in the war, received two purple hearts um, and, and was spit on, you know, and, and protested and, and, and met with just some very terrible things when he came back home from the war and he carried that with him his whole life. Um, And so I met him when I was a college kid 
interning in Washington, DC. And he was starting this, this beef battalion. And, um, I kind of got to go along for the ride. And, and so since 2007, Bill and his volunteers have served over a half a million steaks to the troops, um, as a way to say thank you. And, and so to me, like the book, it's, it's a great book. It's whatever. It's a wonderful book I'm proud of, but to me, it's bigger than that because it's, it's supporting something I'm very passionate about and it's, it's service oriented. It's, it's helping somebody else. And so I think too, entrepreneurs, if they can find ways to like serve in their communities, lead in their communities, be a present face, you know, wherever their platforms are and not just make it all about sales. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a twofold benefit. You are helping the world, making it a better place, but also you're showing people your heart um, because people want to buy from people that they believe are good people or that align with their values or that um, they feel connected with in some way. And so, yeah, take, take your eyes off of this is going to be a record sales year and instead focus on service, community, relationship building. And I think those that do will be, will be around and still in business far beyond, you know, when this downturn is over. Yeah. I get a lot of messages, um, you know, oh, I want to start my own boutique. Do you have any advice? And, um, and I go back to a lot of the same things that you mentioned. Uh, I feel like e-commerce is wonderful, but I feel like it's, our market is so very, very saturated. Um, and I just, tell everybody like you have to give your customers a reason to shop with you because they can go buy, you know, the same thing and maybe cheaper, but you have to give them a reason to come back to you, to follow you, to want to, you know, be a part of your store, you know, or your boutique or whatever you want to call it. Um, yep. And that's what I always tell them is you have to sell you, not your product. Yep. And, and that can be hard if you're starting from scratch and you have no, social media platform. Like if you're yeah. literally at ground zero and the way the algorithms are now, it's very like Instagram is a beast anymore. Like I can go from thousands of people seeing my stuff to like nobody and it's crickets. Yeah. And yeah. I've just stopped playing the game. Like I just, I, that's probably not the tech savvy way of approaching it, but I've just thought, you know, there's so much ups and downs with all this social media stuff. I can't possibly keep up with all the changes. I'll get whiplash or maybe I'm just too old to learn. I don't know, but I do know I'm just going to keep showing up. I'm going to share my story, but then I'm going to go live my life. I'm going to go be with my kids. I'm not going to stress that, you know, this didn't, you know, go wildly crazy. Like it might've been 2020, like it just, it just isn't. And, um, that, but it can be a mental game every day that you play trying oh to figure gosh. out like, okay, how am I going to get attention this week? But like I said, I'm like old and crabby and I'm like, I'm not going to dance on TikTok. So like, it's just not what I'm going to do. Well, I, will, um, I will not either. No, <laughs> I'm not dancing. And if I do dance, it's because it's like something funny. You know what I mean? Like I think I've done like two dancing videos with my. I brother. think I've done a couple too, and I think the internet agreed I shouldn't do it anymore. So <laughs> I don't be dancing on the internet. But I tell like because I get a lot of um, you know, people who want to be like Western fashion content creators, and it and that market is very very saturated as well. And it's the same thing that you have to be yourself. Don't just follow trends. Um, yeah, your outfit may be cool, but you have to give them something more. Like yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not just about the pretty picture. You're painting like the whole story. Like, yep. And I, I think too, understanding like, number one, if you do want to be an influencer that way, it's really building relationships with the brands. What can you offer the brands that's unique and to tell their story to a different demographic? Um, and, and then, yeah, on the, on the front end, you know, understanding who your customer is and who you're trying to serve. Like, 
I, I would love to get like super dolled up and pretty and do like what the Western influencers do. But my primary um, audience, my primary customer, a lot of them are farm and ranch moms like me that are likely wearing a graphic sweatshirt and some jeans. Um, maybe it's got manure on it and baby puke on it. And so it's like, how can I make them feel special? How can I make them feel like they're put together in this season of life where they're they're on a budget, they have hay to pay for and feed to pay for and babies to take care of. And they're juggling all these things, but they still want to feel like themselves and they still want clothing that maybe represents their values and who they are. And so like the shirt I'm wearing today, it just says beef on it. I mean, I sell so many of them. And my husband always says like, who is buying these shirts? But I'm like, well, they're people that are very passionate about cattle. And what I tell people about these shirts is everywhere I go, if I'm wearing a, a shirt that has beef on it or like a farm saying on it, it's like a walking billboard. And, and my whole goal is teaching people about agriculture. And so it strikes up these conversations that maybe people wouldn't otherwise have that opportunity to have with a real rancher. And so for me, like they're very useful. It's like a business card. I mean, and that's really kind of how I'm catering my retail for is like, this is for a purpose. When you go into a school, wear something like a farm message on a shirt for the kids to read so they can remember you by. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, with the addition of, you know, the jewelry or the area or whatever, it's just like, okay, I still want to feel cute and put together and have, wear really high quality things that aren't going to be like in the trash six months from now. And so I'm not, I'm not really chasing to be the cheapest person on the marketplace either. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I've kind of set my prices and with the up and downs of the markets, I haven't really changed them because I just kind of know this is a fair price point for me to get paid. And this is where I think people will pay. And um, yeah, I have sales and that kind of thing, but um, really it's like, it's just weathering those ups and downs and it's, it's however you can do it. But I think first and foremost, you have to know who you're trying to serve and yeah. really tailor what you're doing. Um, so being, uh, I had a, a, a business mentor. She's an incredible retail business owner, um, just like next level. But she told me there are riches in the niches. And so like, you might think like, who cares very specifically about this thing that I'm talking about all the time, but there are people who, who do, and you will find your people. And so like my story is going to be different than somebody else's. And that doesn't mean somebody else is doing it wrong. It means they're serving a different clientele. And I love when I'm shopping, my, my husband gives me a hard time because I'll be like, Oh, I really love this. I really want to buy this. And then I'll put it back on the rack or, you know, <laughs> I'll take it out of my cart or whatever. And he's like, why don't you just get yourself something nice that you like? And I'm like, because I buy clothes that I wouldn't be mad if they got chicken crap on them. Yeah. <laughs> like I want to wear a shirt that I don't feel bad. Like even today I'm wearing jeans and a plain black top and I dress it up with jewelry because in 20 minutes when I go outside to do chores or whatever, I'm going to take all this jewelry off and I'm not going to care if these clothes get ruined or dirty or whatever. Like they can go into the washing machine. I'm not going to buy a shirt that like has a specific purpose. I mean, on occasion, you know, my husband's in the military, we have to do dine outs and fancy dress up things. And obviously I have to buy a dress, like a one-time wear thing for that. But I, um, I'm the queen of Amazon formal dresses. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's things like that, but otherwise I totally understand the mindset of like, you could dress up that shirt that you're wearing with that cute necklace, but you could also throw your hair up in a bun or put a cap on and go out and do chores. And it's almost like multi-purpose. So 
Yeah. It's very rare that I won't carry a white shirt for that reason. <laughs> like, yeah. I will ruin that in five minutes and so yeah. in every single person I'm selling to. So there's even nothing white in my on white. <laughs> it's even like, it's it would even be wild for me to own like a light wash pair of jeans. I feel like other than like a like dressy pair of jeans that I would not wear out just to go ride or do whatever I'm going to do. I just bought those Kimes light wash jeans and I am petrified <laughs> of staining them. <laughs> I will, I own very few tops that are white or t-shirts. Like I just, I know I will ruin it, mm-hmm. but I, and I loved, I tried these jeans on in the stockyards and I fell in love with them. And I like, I waited two months and I finally ordered them and I am so scared. To I love them. My but I will say from being a baseball mom and having white pants, there's this bar of soap. It's in the laundry aisle at Walmart. It's called Fell's Naphtha Soap. And that will get anything out. Use hot water. You like scrub it on there. And then sometimes I'll even use a brush. That will get anything out. I'm convinced. Because we're going to need a link in the here. Box. And my baseball pants would be pristine. Fell's <laughs> yeah. Naphtha Soap. Yes. Love it. Awesome. My mom used to make her own laundry detergent. And she would put that in there. She would like Fels wrap it up. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Wow. And that was like before she, I have like a KitchenAid, right? With like the fancy attachment that grates all my stuff for me. No, she would sit there and just take that bar. So, and I'm like, you have lost your mind. I said to her, I said, I will never, ever, ever in my lifetime make laundry detergent after wash watching you spend like two hours grating freaking bars of soap. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. Just no. I would rather pay more money and order something on Amazon. <laughs> That's like got cleaner ingredients than make my own laundry soap. I can't do it. Well, Sophia, I don't want to roll over this, but um, I don't know when this is going to air, but summertime, you know, there's Memorial Day weekend, there's Independence Day, and there's all these reasons to celebrate our freedom. But I just wanted to thank you and your family for your service. I know it's not just your husband that signs up. It's it's the whole family and it definitely is hard on families. So I just wanted to thank you. Thank you. I remind him all the time that I serve too. No, I mean, it really, I mean, statistically the divorce rate and the PTSD and all the things that happen um, to families of military families that serve. I mean, it, I don't take it lightly. It's, it's a big deal. And we couldn't do what we love to do. We couldn't pursue our passions if we, if we aren't free in this country. And so it, it means a lot. And I, I, I've like been watching you for years too. And you're, you're hustling, you're this mom business owner. Um, and I know you're on your own a lot, like your husband's not there. And I just, I just really value families who are willing to serve because it takes a special kind. And, and so I just don't think we can, we can thank you enough. Um, but yeah, if your husband doesn't agree with giving you credit, just tell no, him. No, he does. He does. <laughs> I just, I just have to give him crap. It's just funny because just yesterday, um, we were at Lowe's and Lowe's has a military discount. And when we left, I was looking at the receipt and I was like, oh, we saved this much money. And he's like, yeah, you're welcome for my service. And I was like, you're welcome for mine. <laughs> All right, right. <laughs> So it's, it's almost like a joke around here. Um, but no, there's, there's a lot of dedication obviously that goes into that and having a marriage and a family and everything like that. And we're lucky enough. Um, he's in the national guard and so he has a new job now and he's not traveling as much, but you know, that puts other challenges on the plate and, you know, there's opportunities that arise for me 
And I have to decide, you know, if I'm going to take that and not be the, the mother who is home every single day with, with her kids and stuff, because I do have a different kind and a different level of support at home now. And so, you know, there's just all those things that happen in the ebb and flow of life, like you were talking about between marriage and owning a business and being a mom and being a wife and all those things. Um, and I was actually reading my Bible last night and I was reading the book of Luke and it was the part where they talk about how you can't serve two masters and they talk about how you can't serve money and God. And I just like kept coming back to what I was reading last night in the scripture when you were talking and I was, uh, anyways, I just, this has been such a great interview and I really want to thank you for being here and all the things that you've said, cause they definitely hit me right in the fields. There was a couple times I was glad Megan took it. Cause I was like fighting back tears and I was like, Oh my God, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> And I would say too, on that Bible verse, I think about that a lot. Like I don't, I don't want business ownership or the pursuit of the dollar to become my idol at all. And so um, my prayer always is that I will be a good steward of the, of the money that I make, that um, I will be responsible with it, that not only am I trying to provide for my family, but if I, you know, if I can serve others and help others along the way, um, I, I need to do that because I do serve God first. And so it's, it, yeah, it is, it, making money isn't the, the root of all evils, but it's how we handle that money, I think. And I've got some really great mentors in that too, that really helped me stay aligned in that. I mean, they're much more successful than me. Um, and they're just, they're just abundantly generous and joyous in that giving. And I've always said that, like, if I could make it, I want to wildly give my money and help others. And I think that's why we foster honestly, is because it helps keep everything in perspective that not everyone was born um, into a good situation. And that if you can even just open up your heart um, and your home to help someone else, um, it's the most fulfilling thing that you can do. And I, I think that's what we're missing in society. And I know you're trying to wrap up, but I think that's what we're missing in society is it's very much just all about me, 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 and like what we can accomplish and what we can do. But I feel like true happiness comes when we look outside and, and see the bigger picture and see there are problems in this world. And I think entrepreneurs and small business owners have that ability to see those problems and address them too. And, and so that's kind of where my heart is in business is, is I just want to be wildly generous with any gifts that God bestows upon me. Yeah. Before we wrap this up, I would really love to know a little bit more about your fostering journey and what that looked like and how that got started. And I've always been really curious about how that works, like having cattle and obviously, you know, farming of any kind is not always the safest career mm -hmm. path or, you know, however you want to state that. And so what does all of that kind of look like? Yeah. Well, the foster care thing could be like a whole nother hour, but to keep it short, um, the first thing we do is when, when we have new kids come and we've had kids ages seven months to 11 years old, but we give them a farm tour and my own kids will give the grand tour of here's all the ways you can die here. So but <laughs> farm safety is like a really big thing. In fact, I have a book on my site um, about a little boy named Jackson who passed away in a farm accident. And I would encourage every parent um, who lives on a farm or ranch to buy that book. And so we read that book. We talk constantly about the dangers. And a lot of these kids, this is the first time they've ever seen a cow or a tractor and they don't have that instinct at all. Um, so we're very aware of the dangers and we we just really keep on top of it as much as we can. Um, but yeah, it's foster care for us started with infertility and the seed was planted that we thought we would become foster parents. And 
Um, a week after our first meeting, I found out I was pregnant. And then we had three kids back to back to back, literally perfectly spaced two years apart, like obnoxiously fertile uh, all of a sudden. Um, and so I laugh about it that God God uh, had a better plan. Um, but I thought foster care had kind of sailed. I had three kids under the age of four, two were still in diapers and I was traveling and my husband came out of the office one day, just very uncharacteristically said, we need to do foster care. And um, I was like, yeah, right. Like, are you kidding me? I'm so stressed out. Um, I got on a plane to head to a book um, launch in Georgia. And the in-plane movie that day was Instant Family, which is a movie about foster care. I, so I love that movie. My <laughs> husband makes fun of how much I love that movie. Like if I get in bed and we don't know what to watch, he's like, you want to watch Instant Family? I'm like, oh my God, I would love to watch Instant Family. Let's watch it. <laughs> oh, good. If you ha Even if you're not interested in foster care, it's a very good movie. But when I have families reach out to me, especially wives, that they say, I really want to foster, but I don't know how to get my husband on board. I always say, pray to soften his heart. And the first thing you can do is have a date night and watch that movie. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I saw that movie and I'm bawling like a baby on the airplane. And I get back from the trip and I'm like, Tyler, I'm in, you know, let's do it. And um, classes had just started that week in our hometown. So we did the classes and we got finalized to um, our home study and our license. And we had two kids at our front door before our license even came in the mail. Um, so the need was like, there was no time to chicken out. God was like, I'm going to throw you in the deep end and here you go. Um, but we've had a dozen kids come and go and, and we were able to adopt a little boy in 2021 out of foster care as well. So it's been, if people want to check out my Instagram, I have a couple foster care highlights um, so they can see our whole journey of all these beautiful kids that have come and, and gone too, and the heartache that comes with that. Um, but also just Alex's adoption story and um, him being able to find his forever family. It's, it's really a beautiful story and we're very, very blessed to call him ours. I love, I love it. it. Tugs at my mama heart. <laughs> yeah, mine too. I've brought it up to my husband a couple of times, um, but you know, our lifestyle is also a little crazy and there's a lot going on and, and everything like that. And so but that's definitely one of those things. I think any mom, you know, with a very compassionate heart who has children and knows that she provides everything she possibly could for them would want to offer that to another child in need if she could. So I just love that you do that. And I think it's really, really inspiring. And I appreciate you sharing everything on this podcast today and talking about all of God's callings for you and all of the talents that he's given you. And this has been just awesome. Yes. Well, thank you guys for having me. And and yeah, if I could leave with like one piece of advice, I always, I always say like God can give and God can take away. And the most important thing I can do as a Christian um, is, is number one, ask for what I I'm thinking about and, you know, ask the Lord for guidance, um, be smart enough and wise enough to discern what his answer is. And then to obediently answer what that answer is, because sometimes it's not what I want at all. And so it's, it really is that ability to discern and answer. Um, and God's never steered me wrong yet, but it's, it's probably me that fails to listen when I need to. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking maybe I should shut up sometimes. <laughs> I like to debate a little bit, think my yeah. way is better, but, and, and it's humbling too. Sometimes what the answers I get in life. And it's like, well, I really wanted to pursue that opportunity, but you know, the Lord said, no. And I, I need to, again, focus on what my true callings are, which is being a wife and mother. And so sometimes that does mean stepping back and that's okay too. Yep. 
I agree. You're going to make me cry again. All right. (laughs) Sorry. And this is like a full hour. So it's like, I'll never shut up. So you just no. this is so great. All of this is wonderful. And uh, yeah, we're just really grateful that you're here and that you took the time to meet with us today. Well, thank Thank you you so much. much. Thank you. We hope to have you back sometime. Anytime.